Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Bradyware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. Bradyware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I go back to in-person events? And as we record this uh, the show just prior to Memorial Day, we are in what uh, I like to call the trans-pandemic period, where we're not we're not in the throes of the pandemic hell that we found ourselves in six months ago. We're in the process of becoming vaccinated. It's an open question whether or not we're going to hit the seventy percent vaccination rate that the uh, presidential administration has told us is required to achieve herd immunity. And I'm no epidemiologist; I have no clue if we're going to get that. But just sort of taking straw polls. I think we're probably going to fall just short of that, so um, uh, so be it. But whether we're vaccinated or not, or we reach that vaccination level or not, the floodgates are clearly opening. <clears throat> we've um, uh, we've had we've had enough. Uh, even introverts like me are, are are stepping out more and are willing to take a little bit more risk than we were willing to take six to twelve months ago. And um, you know, almost like it or not things are going back to normal. In fact, at this point, probably the biggest obstacle of things to, to returning to events, at least returning to sort of daily life, I'll put it that way, because events, I think, are a different story. But returning to daily life, I think, is simply finding enough people that want to actually work the jobs that are necessary to make those things happen. <clears throat> and again, <clears throat> I'm not going to enter into that discussion, but we are going to have a podcast on a on a, a related topic soon, uh, should I change careers? Because I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of people have um, uh, been prompted by the pandemic experience to rethink what it is they want to do with their professional lives and their personal lives. And our relationship with work, I think, for many of us is forever changed. But again, that's getting ahead of ourselves. We have a very good topic in front of us today. Um, you know, opportunities are now opening up left and right. I know that that professional events, uh, sporting events are going to, if not full attendance capacity, certainly close to it. I think in, you know, my original hometown of Boston, um, when the Bruins and Celtics continue play, th- hopefully the Celtics will just end their season. Boy, it's been miserable. But when the Bruins and Celtics continue their play, they're going to be in front of something like 85% capacity crowds. Um, Fenway Park is going to something similar. I haven't paid attention to what's going on in Atlanta, but I think it's following. I think it's following a similar path. So <clears throat> we're going back to this stuff. People are going back to restaurants. Uh, I'm seeing in my email box more announcements for um, uh, in-person events. Uh, it's it's starting to happen, although I think I think timidly. 
And, you know, I think the question now begs the asking, um, should we be going back to in-person live events? And I don't mean that from a perspective. Should we as a society go back to that? That's not what this podcast is for. <clears throat> and frankly, I'm not, I'm, I'm not qualified to answer that question and nobody's asked it of me. Um, so I'm not going to answer it. But I do think that I, I suspect that many individuals are weighing now, um, is it the right time to go back to these events? Is it, is it the right time to sponsor these events again, host these events? Um, will people come? Are they going to look exactly like they looked, say, in October of 2019? Are they going to look different? Are we, are we going to have more virtual events? What is When we talk about hybrids events, what on earth does a hybrid event mean, right? Is a hybrid event even feasible? And, and so, you know, right now, I, I, I frankly cannot think of a more timely topic that is on most business people's minds. Again, whether we're an event producer and Brady, Brady Ware just had a, a fairly large event <clears throat> virtual for, uh, for nonprofits that I understand was very successful, but it was virtual. Um, but, you know, other events now are, are going to be in person. And what is that? What does that look like? And, and I'll, I'll kind of end the monologue here with this is that according to Meetings Outlook, the 2021 winter edition, 49% of event planners and 42% of event suppliers expect in-person event activity to return to pre-pandemic levels by 2022. So whether you're a glass is half full or empty guy, that means that over half of people in that industry expect 2022 to still be down for pre-pandemic levels. And, and the report was silent on, on when or if the industry may, in, may indeed return to pre-pandemic levels. It may not even be necessarily a desirable thing to do that, at least on a micro basis. So coming on to talk about this is, uh, is my friend Dave Whalens, who is president of Exploring Incorporated the parent company of several unique trailblazing Atlanta-based companies supporting the event, trade show, experiential, entertainment, and flooring industries. He is also the uh, the current uh, president and grand poobah of an organization which I've been involved for several years and is really one of the few few organizations I have time for and make time for, CEO NetWeavers. And we've had a couple of guests on who have been part of that group as well. So they account for a big part of the guest quality that we've had with this podcast over the last two years. Davis, Dave has over 30 years of experience in developing and growing businesses. His ability to think creatively yet strategically and his unwavering commitment to customer service are a true differentiator. He has extensive experience in exhibit design and construction, event fabrication, graphic production, flooring production, and project management. This experience combined with in-depth industry knowledge and expertise enables Dave to assist companies in reaching their strategic marketing objectives as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Exploring Incorporated employs almost 180 people and operates in three locations, including a 150,000-square-foot fabrication facility, providing a uniquely wide scope of capabilities and supported by a highly experienced, versatile, and talented team of metal fabricators, sculptors, artists, carpenters, painters, and printers. The rapidly growing company was founded in 1999 and includes ID3 Group, Chisel 3D, Atlantis Waterjet, Brewmark, Shellmark Carpets, and CGI Graphics. Exploring has been named to the Inc. 500 slash 5,000 Inc.'s magazine of annual lists of fastest growing private companies in America six times in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2014, 2016, and 2018. Dave Wellens, Dave Wellens, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Michael, and probably the longest intro ever. 
Well, I talk fast, so we're. I'm at least old enough to remember the old the FedEx fast talking guy. You remember him? So yeah, I, I, I can learn how to talk like him. But you know, um, maybe it's a long introduction, but I think it's a worthwhile introduction because I think it you know it establishes your expertise in the space. And you know, our listeners don't have time you know to listen to amateurs. There are plenty of podcasts that already do that. We need to listen to experts, and you're one of those. So again, thank you for being generous with your time and coming on today. You bet, Mike, and thanks for having me, man. So we talked about what your company does. I'm sure we're going to kind of sprinkle that over the course of the of the discussion. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to kind of cut right to the chase. I mean, 2020 must have been an absolute brutal year for you guys. And and if I'm right, that if I'm even half right, I'd love to know how you guys survived it. <laughs> well, great question to start out with. Um as a great entrepreneur that, uh, that I think I am, I actually got even better during the pandemic because I learned how to run a company with no sales. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I didn't know that could be done. <laughs> neither did I. So, so look, uh, frankly, we, uh, it was a, a, a very, very difficult year. 2020 shut down the convention industry, obviously the event industry. We were the first industry to close. And frankly, we're going to be the last industry probably to open as Trade shows aren't really officially open even yet, uh, but we have survived it. And we survived it for uh, several, several key reasons. Uh, one is uh, really the mental fortitude that you have to have as an entrepreneur and changing to meet current needs. And that really was the, the, the core of our, our whole company and our employees is really that mindset. And we've just had a great team that came together and did whatever it takes to find paths to get through this thing. Um, and we've done some very, very creative and unique ways to get through it and couldn't be more proud of my executive management team and my management team to make it happen. Um, and fortunately, we were really busy and the industry was super busy in the first quarter of 20. And because of that, it helped us get to some you know, benchmarks throughout the year uh, to where we weren't, where we had cash flow to help us get through some of the worst times until PPP kicked in. So to be very specific, if it wasn't for that, uh, this industry, the trade show industry and event industry may not have survived. Not like it's going to be. So, you know, now, now we're here, as I said, we're, we're here at uh, end of May trans pandemic period. What, what are you hearing? What are you sensing? What are you seeing in terms of the public's interest in going back to live events right now? Well, first of all, I look for facts in the marketplace to indicate uh, what's the appetite for, for folks to go back to live events. And, and fortunately, we're right here in Atlanta where we're watching Van Gogh uh, open up uh, last week. And fortunately, uh, our ID3 group was the builder of Van Gogh. Uh, so we got to uh, partake in this. Uh, they've actually, they're sold out till August already. Um, they've sold over 200,000 tickets and uh, hard to find them. And attendance has been outstanding. So those are the facts that I look for. So every event that I have seen or witnessed as seeing tremendous participation. That's an awesome sign. Now, what about, what about on, uh, among the event planners and sponsors and hosts? Are, are they equally chomping at the bit to kind of get back to this thing? Yeah, I think they are. Um, you know, we're seeing it because many of them switched to stay connected to their customers uh, the event producers, if you will, the ones who own the shows, want to make sure that their uh, their customer base was able to see their customers. So they went to virtual events, and doing these virtual events was great, but it it was just one element, and there was a, a real missing component of that interaction. 
Um, and I think that's the outcome of, of the virtual events. Connected a lot of people, but frankly, lost that, that human touch, that interpersonal touch that we, we really crave. So when the opportunity starts to, uh, started to come back, uh, I think these event producers were clamoring to get back face-to-face, and they found ways to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I, I, I rattled off a statistic before we, we started the formal interview, but it seems like more people in your industry than not think that, that this year and maybe next year are going to be transition years and maybe 2023 is going to be, if we go back to the normal or if we achieve the new normal, that's going to be the timeline. Do, do you share that opinion or do you, do you differ from that? I think I differ just a little bit from that, Mike. Um, what I'm seeing is choppiness through the summer. As trade shows start to open, they're opening up very conservatively with expectations. I mean, you got to remember, uh, many of these shows have canceled. And what's happening is they're rescheduling for summer that typically were in, were in the uh, winter or even the spring. As they move to different parts of the year, attendance is going to be lower. They're going to be spottier. You're not going to have the back-to-back shows. They're going to be smaller. I'm sure all that's going to take place. But they are opening and they are committing to go face-to-face. What that means is I think we're really going to see things come back fourth quarter. Uh, so summer will be choppy. Third quarter will start to build up. But a good stake in the ground is CES, which is opening in January, which is typical of where it always is open. And that is the largest trade show in our country. And I think that's the one that I'm looking at most uh, closely to be an indicator of where things are to come. So if we can get back fourth quarter, then 2022 should be a very, very good year. I did not know that CES was the largest trade show in the country. Um, I mean, I knew it was big, but I had no idea that it was the largest. And uh, I, I agree that probably will be a very good barometer, especially because with CES, that's actually a trade show that has the kind of content that actually is more easy to deliver virtually than others, right? You don't necessarily have to have people in a room to just to show a demo of a video game, for example, right? So if people are coming back in droves for that, then I, I agree with you that that, that is going to be the um, the leading indicator. Yeah, and I think CES is is going to be well attended this year. I think people would cancel last year. So think about all the technology changes that have happened over this past year. This is the debut of that at this show. And I think people uh, haven't been able to go to Las Vegas. Uh, there's a lot of new things at Las Vegas, including the convention center. So there's a lot of compelling reasons why people are going to want to travel. Um, I know the dangers and the health issues, but I think they're going to be overcome by the protocols that are being done by these shows that are being very careful. Uh, and I think they're they're going to really have a great attendance. And if that happens, uh, I think it's going to pave the way for a very good 2022. So when we when when I start going back to live events, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's going to happen this year for me. Even even I'm on the conservative side. Um, Am I going to see something different? How are those events going to look different when I walk in as opposed to what I remember being involved in back in 19? You know, I think they're going to be different. Um, I think people are going to look at them a little bit more conservatively, strategically. And I also think you're going to see a lot of hybrid and live combined. So one thing we learned about the hybrid event is we're able to touch more people. So uh, we could actually communicate to a lot of people at a company because they're obviously not paying the travel expense. However, when you're when we do these live events, I think you'll see a combination of those two things happening where content will be available to you even after that show, long after that show for a majority of people, which means the way that we communicate on the show floor will absolutely change. 
And I think uh, things don't necessarily have to be as large and as complicated and perhaps as complex. Uh, and I think there'll be more storytelling being done and brand building than there will be just showing up to say, I'm coming to this trade show. I'm going to show my products. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good thing. You know, as, as somebody as somebody who does his fair share of uh, of public speaking in some format or another, the one thing that I I I've I've long regretted and have never found a good solution for was to solve the perishability problem. Right? I take the time to put a presentation together. I think I do a pretty good job, and then it's just gone. Right? It perishes instantly. And, you know, you haven't seen me in some of the, in some of these things. I mean, I've, I've, I've tried so many contraptions and setups and weird things to try to capture what I do, you know, with a, an iPad or an iPhone or something. And it, it's been, it's been both cumbersome and, and, and just bad outcome. Um, I, I, I think that as a content provider, one, I would, I will appreciate if there's sort of a default setting where there's going to be something to capture my content that can live on and, that to me also says that it's an opportunity to scale the business model because you don't have to just serve the people that are out there on site. Am I crazy or have I gotten a bunch of stuff wrong in that sentence? No, you got a lot of things right in that sentence. Like, I mean, that's exactly what you're going to do. And that's why you're going to look at these uh, trade shows and events just differently because you could touch your customer in different ways and it live on. So, you know, think about now capturing uh, uh, all your presentations and your live presentations um, in a way that, you know, has a lifespan that is endless. So yeah, you really can look at how you approach this much differently and frankly, how you justify it. I mean, it's an investment of your time uh, and your money. And uh, that's the other part of it. The return on your investment is going to be even wider um, and probably more effective. So you're going to want to go to maybe more events than you ever thought about or more trade shows or more, do more public speaking because you're able to monetize that even better. So you know, let's let's look at this from the from the the corporate side. You know, I'm a uh, I'm a partner in a CPA firm, which means we we you know we're really good at counting dollars. Uh, the jury still out whether or not we're really good at making them, but we're so we're certainly very good at counting them. And you know, there's there's a there's an argument there's an argument that I'm sure some people are making, some businesses are making. I'm not necessarily making it, but it's being made. I'm sure. That, you know, look, we, we, we got what we needed to get out of 2020 in term, you know, mostly education for our people. Um, it was a lot less expensive. They didn't have to be out of the office, didn't have to pay for travel, didn't have the time disruption of travel. Um, you know, what, what have we missed and we need to get back by being forced into an all virtual environment? What's, what, what's, what's waiting for us on the other side? Well, I think that all it goes back to human interaction and, and really being able to get to know people and get to understand people at a different level than doing it over Zoom. You can never really achieve that. Uh, in fact, I, I would suggest people are really moving more to fatigue on Zoom than they are uh, truly uh, finding it as a good experience and a positive experience. Uh, so I do think uh, it's just another tool. Uh, and what is missing is just that human interaction. It's just needed flat out needed. And, and I will, I will go on on the record right now telling you that if you're not traveling to see your customers today, because, you know, frankly, some customers won't let you come see them, but the second your competitor goes and flies and meets a customer face to face and you don't, you tell me how fast you're going to jump on a plane and go meet with your customer face to face. It's the cycle. It's going to happen. 
So um, I think I know the answer to this question, but I don't want to, I don't want to assume. So are, are hybrid events in your mind, are they going to be a transitional step or is that going to be kind of part of the new normal, a new outgrowth is, is that there's a role for digital play in these things and they're just going to ride shotgun with one another? Yeah, I'm glad you, you said the word digital this time than virtual. And I think we're really turning it from our industry as designers and producers of experiences and, and trade shows, we're really turning into content producers and storytellers. And as content developers, we have to understand that market now better than anything to help brands achieve their goals. So this is just one element. And what we've learned uh, through content development um, now has a lot of legs. I mean, we're really, uh, we could we could create movies around the content we're building or, you know, video podcasts, whatever we want to do, but we better be good at that as well, as well as building physical structures. So if we're going to help the brand the best way, then we, we have to know the, all elements of this marketplace. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but I, I, I think, I think I completely agree with that, that the, the core, the core competencies I would imagine in people of, not people of, of your industry participants in your industry, I think are going to need to evolve, right? I, I, from what I have seen, again, I'm not, I'm, I haven't worked in industry, but I've seen behind the scenes of industry, uh, of your industry is that there've been the, you know, the people that put on the, on the, on the physical events. And then there are the people that, that do the audio video, take the footage and whatnot. Right. But they're almost sort of parallel from my observation, you only talk to each other when you need to make sure you're not stepping each other's extension cord, basically, or you're not going to screw up their Wi-Fi, basically. I imagine that in the operational model, that's no longer the case. You either have to be able to closely collaborate with each other, or maybe you even just own those capabilities all in-house. Yeah, absolutely. But I'll take that a step, maybe even a little step higher, Mike, and go back to the customer. So the yeah. customer is the one that we really got to focus on. And when a customer is has got complications between going through virtual or digital content and physical content, you know, really what it is, is is helping the brand achieve what it's doing. And that's, it lives in the hands of the customer. As we learn more about it, it it goes back to the fact that as designers and builders of environments, we may not have known much about graphics in the early days. We had to learn, even though we, we didn't print them ourselves at the time, now we do, but we needed to know about it as well as a printer did, Uh, whether it be LED, whether it be, you know, Whatever content that we're dealing with, we have to know it. In this case, we're really helping a brand achieve its goals. That's really what's happening. That lives in the hands of the customer. So knowing how to work and manage that content is the important part and executing it. Not every one of these exhibit companies are going to be experts in content management, but they're going to have have resources at their fingertips. So a customer has to go to one place rather than two. And that is a big time saver for a customer. Um, I'm, I'm curious in terms of what it's going to take to put events together. Um, I infer from what you're telling me, they're going to be, they're going to be more complex because the customer is asking you to do more, whether directly or indirectly, are events going to be more expensive to put on, or maybe they might be less expensive initially because fewer people are going to attend them. I can see an argument. Maybe there's no impact whatsoever. I'm curious just in, in terms of the cost structure, um, are events going to be more expensive to put on and therefore by extension to attend? I have a feeling they're going to be more expensive, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to watch some of the data out there. You know, the way that you participate in the show, there are some rates that are proposed by in our industry called the general contractor. And those rates are paid for by the exhibitors. 
and we're already seeing those costs escalate uh, a little bit surprisingly, but I think they're anticipating smaller spaces initially, so they have to generate revenue, so their costs are, are a bit higher. Um, we'll see what happens in the long run, but I think you're going to see an escalation of that. And of course, then you got raw good issues and you got supply chain issues that are driving up costs. So for us as builders, we work a lot in wood. You know what's happened with wood prices over this past year. They've uh, gone up, you know, 300%, over 300%. uh, And just about all raw materials have gone up. So I think you are going to see an increase in cost. However, I think it's going to be offset by the return that you get. And that's where I think this industry, uh, frankly, from my side of the table as suppliers to an exhibitor, that we have an opportunity of resetting to doing all things that we were doing wrong to now do them right and and eliminate uh, cost overruns and things that were in the way before that we can now uh, find ways to justify it and bring higher value. So that's the opportunity. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up because this this gets into really, frankly, one of the questions I was most looking forward to asking you, which was from from the pandemic experience, and I'd love you to think about this as broadly as possible because I think there's a as broad there could be a very broad answer that'll bring some insightful things to the fore. What in your mind have you, or if you want to be broader, has your industry learned from the pandemic, and how are some of those how are some of those things learned going to be evident in the events that you produce and we're going to start to attend later this year and forward? Well, one thing that I think our industry learned by being truly shut down is that overhead will destroy you. Hmm. And our industry is based on large spaces to accommodate building large exhibits. Um, So we all have a very big footprint to do what we do. Uh, You heard I've got 150,000 square foot facility, one of them, uh, just to do the work that we do. Building overhead is going to be a very difficult will be a change in the minds of these business owners from here on out that they're going to have to find alternative ways not to build overhead. And I think that then changes the model for them to look to be more marketing based, go back to the content marketing based, working with brands in a marketing solution, then actually making the actual physical components that they could strategically work with others to build them and let them really work with the brands to, to make sure they're done right. So I think there will be a reset in this industry of getting smaller, leaner, uh, smarter about the things that we do because we've experienced the worst. And it it sounds like, and please correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but the way I distill what you just said is, is in a way getting back to basics. You know, Uh, what is the core value of what you actually deliver and maybe building an exhibit, although a, a nice thing that you can offer, maybe that isn't necessarily core to the value. Is that fair to, Say, or am I going too far? No, I, I think that's a, a bit fair to say. I mean, I think, you know, where we used to differentiate by how we built something, you know, I built it better than you built it. Today, it's about the outcome of the piece that we built. How is that story being told in your lobby, in your event, at your trade show, right? That the outcome of that is the most important part. It has no concern if I made it out of one material or another anymore, as long as it looks like what you wanted it to look like. Uh, but if the story is told right, that's the power of that execution, and there's the value, and that's what we need to focus on. So it's not a, not necessarily about how you built it, but but really why you built it. That's right. That's right? exactly right. 
And, and I like that because I, th- I think that's a lesson that actually can be taken beyond just your industry, right? As you know, thinking about going back and taking a step back, why, why are we doing this? Why does a customer want it, right? And then that can help you rethink, is this, is this the right or the necessary path to get there? So, so you talk, so you answered this, the, the question one way in terms of how you run your business, which is great, is instructive. I'm also, but I'm also curious, are there any lessons that you've learned in terms of about, about actually executing the event itself? Anything that you, that, that you or others you think have learned from the pandemic that are going to impact simply the way that you execute and what you already do? Um, you know, so my state is a little bit different. So we're a supplier to those designers and builders yeah. of environments. So I work with uh, design build firms, event marketing companies, architects, so, yes, every one of those folks are approaching this much differently. And, and even we are um, about how we look at building an environment. And, you know, cost is a big issue now. So we're having to figure out creative ways to meet a need and finding new techniques and new materials uh, to actually achieve what the design intent is. So but I will say this, the entire economy is moving to an experiential economy. People want to have a story told to them. They want to know the brand has a message to them when they go and do it. And that's the biggest piece of all. And we're finding and we're seeing that happen across the country right now with some very unique uh, things that are opening up. Van Gogh is one of them. I, I tout that. But Meow Wolf is another one you may be familiar with. They're out of New Mexico. They just opened up in Las Vegas. It's a gro- grocery shopping tour of the experiential type. It's really a, an art exhibition uh, more so than anything else. Um, you're seeing... A lot of these shows that are coming to fruition, and it's all about just telling the story. Malls are changing. It's a good example of that as well. You know, what's what's happening inside of malls with Animal Planet as an exhibition opening inside a mall. Um, All sorts of things that really are taking what traditionally would be just standard graphic on a wall and really telling a whole story. Um, Is there any concern in your industry that, some segment of the population is just not going to come back to live events. And I'm sure there's a, there's a number. Um, um, I just don't know how big that is in, in your mind. Is that something that's of concern to you that, that some people are just never coming back because they've just been so impacted almost to a PTSD level uh, of, of the pandemic? Or do you think that's, that's just not going to be enough to move the needle for your industry? No, that's a huge concern, okay. uh, to be honest, Mike. I'm not so much individuals themselves, because I don't think there'd be enough to move the needle. But when you have Google and Facebook and, and uh, Apple telling their employees uh, not to go to a show or we don't want you to go to a show, that is devastating. Or we don't think we need to do it, not because of even health issues, but that the pandemic has showed them we could figure out other paths since we couldn't do events and go to trade shows. We'll find an alternative way to do it. That's very concerning. And, and also, it's also the opportunity because yep. they'll never not touch their customer. They will be face-to-face with their customer at some point. It may not look like a trade show or an event like we're used to, but they'll find that out. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's right. You know, it's, um, you know, with things like these disruptions, it's, it's rare that the thing that's disrupted goes away. It, it often is forced to adopt a different model. Even right now, taxis have not gone away with Uber and Lyft, but they have changed, right, what they do, and they've changed their value proposition. Great point. Um, 
uh, I'm going to put on my amateur lawyer's hat now. What could possibly go wrong with that? But, but, you know, I do wonder about kind of about liability and I'm sure, I wonder if this conversation has come up with you or in your circles at all. And, and interestingly enough, as I was preparing for this, uh, this podcast, I read an example, uh, I'm sorry, an article yesterday that uh, the, the WWE folks, um, the folks that put on the quote unquote, totally real wrestling matches um, are making their attendees sign a waiver form that if they get sick by being an event that, you know, you can't come back and sue them. Um, is, is that a concern and are, are, is that something that folks in your industry are taking a look at? Uh, absolutely. Um, look, liability is in my opinion, and this is my own personal opinion is the reason that it's taken so long for live events to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been fortunate enough in my industry. Uh, I early on jumped on to really trying to help my industry and, um, and partnered virtually with two of our biggest players in the in- industry, Zarnowski and George P. Johnson. And we started what is called Live for Life, where we pulled together people in our industry to help solve the temporary hospital issue. We were all shut down. We didn't have uh, any work at hand. And we turned all of our attention to, to helping our communities. And so what better workforce than obviously our trade show world that was used to making these temporary environments. Um, and out of that became the liability issue at every turning point. And, and because of that also, we got a, a privilege to sit on the forefront as things developed on how we were going to get over that liability. So the protocols that were put in place with GBAC, which is a the certification to uh, uh, in the cleaning of these environments, right? And every single convention center, most convention centers have been certified uh, through this GBAC or putting in infrared and, and thermometers and uh, at, at locations and how we were going to have apps that actually traced people through an environment, making sure they were safe to go in uh, a program called clear to go, which in fact, my nephew developed the, the software to that so that you tested at home, you came to an environment, you check in, you check out. So all these protocols are put in place to minimize liability. It will never eliminate liability or I haven't seen it yet eliminate liability, but that is the, that is the biggest concern. Yeah, I, you know, um, uh, liability is sort of a in particular part of the, the, the American way of life, right? So, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's just going to be ever present, right? That's just the way that our society is now constructed. And there's nothing you or I really can do to stop that. All we can do is try to work around it. Um, None of us want to be sued, and that's really what this comes down to. You know, that's exactly right. It's <laughs> a business, and you you were playing attorney, so I know that's where you were going with it. But for us as a company, you know, we can't afford to have that happen, and that's that's the problem. It's not that someone's going to get sick. That I don't think is the issue. People are going to get sick, but they're not. It's not going to be pointed and, and be sued because you were allowed to be on a show floor or an event or a live event. That's the problem. So. I want to bring up another part of the value proposition of, of live events. I'd like to get your reaction to it. This doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think it's more important. I think it doesn't get talked about a lot because it's not, um, it's, it's not as polished and corporate from, from a, from an outside perspective. But, but the reality is that, that being able to send certain people to events is a form of compensation and it's a form of professional recognition, right? 
and I'll use the word boondoggle. Other, you, you may not. And that's that's fine. I don't expect you to. But the simple fact of the matter is that what that a, a traditional way that companies have shown their appreciation for certain employees to retain them to give them sort of non compensation compensation is, hey, there's this trade show in Vegas. Why don't you go for this weekend? Take your wife and so forth, and we'll write it off. You come back with some business cards. That great. That's great. You know, I, I I do think that's also something that that needs to come back. And if companies are thinking they can cheap out and and stop and and sort of try to put an end to or discontinue that practice, they're going to find out the hard way. They're going to lose some very key people because that is a consideration uh, that that is a way that you make employees feel appreciated. Absolutely. And no doubt about it. And good point. I mean, as uh and that, that's strategic. I mean, it's cheaper to bring your sales team together and put them to good work at a trade show than it is to have a separate sales meeting. So doing it around a trade show makes a lot of sense and, and the perk of, of doing that. So I agree with you. But I've actually seen that firsthand, Mike, through not a trade show, but our industry event, uh, which was in San Antonio in December of this year. And interestingly enough, uh, uh, I was really surprised to see how many people showed up in our industry, in a very small industry, who were shut down. I'll remind you of that. We were not yeah. working. And we still had over 100 people show up at that meeting. That that was a testament to that to that exact statement. They came out because they felt they needed to, and it was part of the perk, part of their – just part of their core makeup, and they just made it happen, and it was surprising. Yeah, and look, there's, there's 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 nothing wrong with that, right? As long as as long as at least in, in the business, you understand the decision that you're making. I I, I don't think that that's uh, I think that's fine if businesses want to do that. Um, but it's it's interesting that I don't I don't see it talked about a lot, as if people don't know that that goes on, which is which is kind of interesting. But yeah, you know, but again, I do think a company that thinks they can cut out this kind of this kind of commerce travel. Um, uh, the, just on that basis alone, it's ma- it's making a mistake because a a competitor that is sending people to those events is going to look a lot more attractive yeah. um, in terms of being an employer. So, um, my impression, based on what I read, is that while we are working our way through the pandemic, and I think most of us feel more secure doing things we did not feel secure doing uh, some time ago, um, we're still concerned about about flare-ups, right? There seems to be a new strain of the month and whatnot. And we don't know what the, we don't know what the vaccination scenario is. And, and it seems pretty clear that at least in the United States, we're not going to have these vaccination passports. There's no way a conservative Supreme court is going to approve that at least either that, or, I mean, other than I just don't know politics, but um, you know, flare-ups can kind of happen. I think a, a, a I think something that could kill a conference forever is to be is to all of a sudden be a another one of these these infection vectors, right? We hear about the wedding in Maine or the funeral in Georgia or something, and nine thousand or the biotech conference in Boston. That was the big one that actually launched this whole thing in North America. Um, you don't want to be that conference that is the, the that is the infection vector, right? Because I don't know that as a conference you could ever recover from that. Um, in your in your mind, how do how do you just protect against being complacent? That you know we're 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 we see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're not through the tunnel yet. Uh, well, instead of the word complacent, I would put the word confident. Okay, travel. I really do, and I think right. anybody 
is going just like you will find when they feel comfortable and confident to start traveling and, and going to these events, whether local or whether that you're going to have to jump on a plane and go. Um, you know, I, let's be honest that if we follow the science it's confusing, yep. if we follow the politicians it's confusing, if we try even to follow the facts, it's confusing. So it's our own facts and our own mind that we have to make up what's justifiable. I'm an entrepreneur. I take risks every day, way bigger risks, just working and driving and the things that I do uh, that I just didn't feel the the risks that I would take in certain environments uh, made it uncomfortable for me. I justified it. Does it make it right or wrong? No, it's just what I was able to handle. It was right for you. Right. And that's what I tell people. If, if you have the confidence, you know, I read a report yesterday that said if you had coronavirus, you have the antibodies, although we've been told it may only last three months. Now they're coming out saying it's actually better than the vaccine and and uh, and it's for your, for your lifetime. You never have to have a vaccine and have to go through it again. Who's to know until we until it happens again, right? So we get sick again, yep. but we can't stop living. And that's just that's just where I my line is drawn. And I I feel like if I could build enough confidence where people will take a a little bit of a risk, then maybe it's worth it. But it's it's all about individual choice, and and that's the beauty of where we're at. I just uh, I let people see for themselves what what feels comfortable for them. We're talking with Dave Whalen, CEO of Exploring Incorporated. And the topic is, should I go back to in-person events? Um, a couple more questions I'd like to cover before we, we let you go and, and, and start planning, uh, keep planning those events that you're working on. But one, one question I'm curious about is the international angle. Um, international travel is much slower to recover. Um, for good or real, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Europe says... They might open to U.S. traffic sometime this summer, but they haven't committed to that. Uh, I, I frankly, I've not followed what the U.S. stance on it. I, I haven't heard any definitive word from the Biden administration. Um, is is that is that putting a damper on events right now? Is there are there plans or maybe some live events that have traditionally been international in nature, maybe duplicated and localized? What's the strategy or response to that? Or even to your mind, is there a strategy or response to that? No, there absolutely is a strategy around that. And yes, it is having an impact on attendance um, and exhibitors. And frankly, uh, I think the owners of these shows are having to work around that and find what's the best way to, to approach this show, which means they may go smaller. That's where we go back to, you know, how are they going to survive? Well, maybe they take less square footage uh, and commit to that, knowing that, you know, a percentage of their exhibitors and attendees are, are international. And no, they shouldn't plan for it. I mean, uh, you're, you're an accountant. You know, it's kind of that zero-based uh, projection, right? That we're going to plan for zero. And if we get any, it will incrementally benefit from it. If they're planning to have them come, they're going to be sorely missed because they, they probably won't be showing up until we see perhaps summer fourth. And that's where I say fourth quarter by the time it really wraps in. Um, and it'll be a gradual increase. So we'll see it coming. But if you're not planning for them not to show up, you're making a mistake in my opinion. So you know, one, one thing I was thinking about, and I could be completely off base, so if I'm wrong, you'll tell me, but it seems to me that, that events are part of or at least adjacent to the hospitality industry, and their struggles in terms of just finding people to, to staff are, are well-known, well-documented. I'm, I'm curious if your industry is facing similar challenges, and if so, 
how are those challenges going to be felt at at events and your ability to to put them on? Probably the number one issue for our industry right now. So uh, I guessed right. Good. I think, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Uh, in all honesty, if you really think about this, uh, you know, we're, our industry is predominantly made up of, of entrepreneurs, business owners, right? And most of them uh, are owner operators. And the only way they survive this pandemic is by getting back to the basics of a handful of people, perhaps just themselves, one other person. So their workforce has been decimated. And our employees were furloughed and laid off. And as I said, our industry still is not open. You know, we're, we're no, we're at 10%. You know, restaurants never hit this level. Yep. So our workforce has absolutely been crushed. Uh, our skilled labor is gone. Our project managers, our sales teams gone. There's no one to sell to unless they moved into new, new areas like virtual events. But for the most part, um, it's all going to have to be built back which is going to take a toll. Uh, I think we're all projecting um, issues to happen because of that on on show floor. We're hard to get people and hard to get enough people to fill the uh, the demand that's starting to happen. And we're seeing that specifically on projects that, we're, that we've actually closed up uh, outside of the trade show world, uh, but some traveling exhibits and permanent installations and hospitality projects that we're working on. And it's just going to be a challenge getting back a workforce, especially a, a skill base, high talent, you know, the carpenters and the welders, they've all found work in the housing industry, which has exploded or construction overall. So Dave, this, this has been a great conversation. And, and, you know, as, as an aside and for, for the listeners benefit that this, this conversation sort of as an interesting side dynamic in that you know, Dave and I serve on the board of CEO NetWeavers. He's the, uh, the executive, it's not the executive director, he's the president and uh, and I'm the head of the uh, the events and speakers committee, and so we're going to be having a conversation internally on our board in the next couple of weeks about about moving to in person events a- as well. So it's sort of as it happens, sort of lays the interesting groundwork. But I-, I say that for the benefit of our listeners because this is an actual conversation that's going on in an organization that he and I are both stewards of at the moment, and it you know it just just goes to underline the real practicality of it. Um, you know, Dave, you've got a lot of information. We couldn't cover everything in one hour. We never do. But if somebody wants to ask you about information about, you know, about attending events, hosting them, sponsoring them, participating in some way, can, can they do that if they want to ask you something we didn't talk about today? I want to go in more depth. And if so, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, I am uh, good or bad. I'm always available. Uh, <laughs> I would suggest uh, emailing me. And, uh, and Mike, I got to clarify one thing for you. you. You have called me Waylands the entire conversation and COVID has caused that because it's actually Wallens. And, but every single one of them from friends to family have called me Waylands. Don't ask me why for 2020. Uh, but it is actually D Wallens at exploring.com is my email address. Uh, that's D W A L E N S at exploring.com. Uh, Instagram it's, uh, D R Wallens. And uh, you're welcome to follow me or any of our companies. Exploring.com is our is our uh, our main website for the parent company. You can get to all our brands through that, and you see all the things that we're producing. Um, so I'm very accessible, and I welcome you to connect at any time and be happy to share more. All right. Well, there you have it. There's Dave Wallens, who has been been the victim of the COVID long A. But I would like to thank Dave so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. 
We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with us and me on social media with my Chart of the Day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.